This is episode number 341 with number one New York Times bestselling author, Liz Gilbert. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12-pack, head to Amazon and use promo code 20PureLeaf. That's promo code 20PureLeaf for 20% off. Whether you're searching for a home to buy or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. You can favorite homes, share listings with others, and even schedule tours with a local Redfin agent, all in the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. They know how to help you win the right home at the right price. So download the Redfin app to get started today. Now let the class begin. It is not our achievements that make life meaningful. It is the precious moments along the journey that bring us meaning. Welcome, everyone, to this special edition of the School of Greatness podcast. I am currently in Buenos Aires, Argentina, playing in the Pan American Championships with the United States men's national handball team representing the USA, and I'm having an incredible time. We've played a couple games so far. And we've got uh, a few more to go. And, you know, I've always gone after big dreams and big goals in my life. And earlier in my life, I used to get so disappointed if I never achieved them or if I lost a game or something got me off track. And I've learned to really take in all these precious moments. You know, there's a goalie on our team named Danny who's been on the team for about 23 years. And he said, you know, some guys come and go on this team and they get to wear the jersey in the USA across their chest one, maybe two times. You never know when your time is going to be up, when you're not able to play anymore or you don't get selected. And uh, it just makes me really take in every single moment of this journey, of this trip, playing with the team, hanging out with the guys, you know, being physical in the game, doing whatever it takes to support uh, my team and represent my country and represent my last name. And um, it's it's an incredible journey. And I've learned to let go of the end result. You know, I'm, I am still very committed and focused on my dreams and my goals. And I want to reach them. Trust me, I want them badly. That's why I put so much time and energy and sacrifice into going after them. But I've learned to really enjoy and 
be present and be here right now. I think it's something we forget about so often is all of the moments along the journey which take us towards our dreams, which take us towards our goals, which take us to incredible relationships. It's the the ups and downs. It's every single moment. So be here, be present, and be now in this moment. I am extremely excited about our guest, Liz Gilbert. She is an incredible human being. I'm so glad we got to finally connect and meet in person and record in the School of Greatness studios in Los Angeles. What an incredible, loving, wonderful human being. And if you don't know who Liz is, uh, in her early career, she worked as a journalist for publications like Spin and GQ and the New York Times Magazine. And an article she wrote in GQ, I didn't know this, but she, an article she wrote in GQ about her experiences bartending on the Lower East Side eventually became the basis for the movie Coyote Ugly, if anyone ever watched that movie, which I've watched a couple times. I didn't know that was off of her um, article. And she has won multiple awards for her books. She just celebrated the 10-year anniversary for Eat, Pray, Love, which was a worldwide phenomenon. And she is now an internationally recognized author and speaker. She's been on Oprah's Super Soul Sessions. She's been on tour with Oprah. She's spoken all over the world. She's got a new book out called Big Magic. She has got a lot going on. And man, this was one of my favorite interviews to do. I, uh, we just connected so well and I loved listening to her. I could have kept going for hours. So I hope you get a lot out of this. And some of the main things we cover is why you should follow your curiosity instead of following your passion, which I thought was pretty interesting. Also, why it's so important to take a break from your work and have an off season and the key to having the off season. Also talk about the best way to calm nerves before a big speech, which Liz has done many big speeches, so she's got some good advice there. The power of giving your attention versus getting attention. How Liz managed to stay so grounded through the success of Eat, Pray, Love. And the main thing she has in common with Oprah that my good buddy Rob Bell said she has in common with. That and so much more good stuff in this juicy episode. Make sure to share this out with your friends. If you're listening right now, click on the share button on your podcast app, on your iPhone or online. Just click share or just tweet out uh, lewishouse.com slash 341 to share this out with your friends and make sure to tag Liz as well because this is going to support and inspire a lot of people. Without further ado, let me introduce to you the one, the only Liz Gilbert. Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. Very excited about our guest. It's not Elizabeth. It's Liz Gilbert. Thanks for coming on. Hello, darling. Good to see you. It's good to see you. I've been uh, emailing you for about a year now, trying to make this happen. Yeah. So we finally, I was persistent enough, finally made it happen. Totally when you're in ignored LA. the restraining orders. <laughs> exactly. Didn't even sign when I served you papers. It's exactly. amazing. Yes. I just finally gave up, and here I am. And I'm super grateful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Rob Bell was like, you've got to have Liz on sometime. Oh. Uh, about a year ago, he was like, you got to get her on. And so I was like, can you make the intro? And so we made it happen. So I'm really glad you're here Aww. in the studio in LA. It's and, awesome. Um, Rob is our is our shared brother. I know. He's amazing. Yep. He's incredible. Uh, and you guys are doing a workshop tomorrow, actually, which will this will be afterwards that it comes out. But um, do you guys do a lot of work together, workshops and speeches? No, this is the first thing we've ever done. I mean, we we met on, to drop a name, on the Oprah tour. Oh, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps you've heard of her. Um, and I had, you know, we hadn't known each other before that. So we did this eight city stadium tour together Amazing. where we yeah. were totally the youngest brother and sister on the really? family 
bus ride, definitely. And Amy Purdy was there too, right? Uh, no, Amy no? wasn't there. Um, oh yeah, Amy Purdy. Yes, of yeah. course. Sorry, I was thinking of Amy Cuddy. Um, yeah, Amy was there. She and, just, I just had her on the uh, other she's day. Fantastic. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's great. Um, you know, Deepak was there. Uh, Amazing. Um, Yellow Vizan. Just a bunch of all stars. Um, no big deal. It was it was fantastic, it's and amazing. I got to watch Rob eight times in a row give a speech that just Blue I mean you away, know what right? it does it's amazing like just brought everyone up and then down and then back up <laughs> and then it was like just watching a conductor work with people's mm. spirits it was beautiful it was absolutely beautiful yeah he's amazing yeah. I had him speak at my uh, book launch party I had him open up for me uh huh. And just at Wonderlust, where you guys are going to be doing a workshop uh-huh. at actually tomorrow, and it was like blew me away. That's so, so cool. Um, I'll be there on Tuesday night. Are you going to be here Tuesday for his thing? No, too? no, you'll be gone. No. Okay, cool. Yeah. Anyways, great guy. Um, but the first question I want to ask you, since you just asked me to ask you this, we uh-huh. were talking about competitiveness, right? And you said um, there's a difference between competitiveness and ambition, right? So, can you talk about those? Yeah, things? because you were talking about being very competitive, and I'm I am actually not. A competitor. Um, I'm not a competitive person, but I'm a very ambitious person. It's taken me years to recognize how I discern a difference between those two words. And they are sometimes overlapping, but not always. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's rare to be one without the other. Um, But in my case, I'm definitely ambitious. So to me, competitive means I will beat you at everything from thumb wrestling to like who can cross the street faster to who can drink this coffee faster to who can like at whatever the thing is, I will beat, I must, there is only one rule, which is what they used to, who is the, um, the horse that they used to say only had one rule and that was that she had to win. Um, that's it. That's the only rule of competitiveness, right? And ambition, which is interconnected, but can also be distinct means I will be the very highest possible version of myself that I can be. And it doesn't have that much to do with what anybody else is doing. Um, you know, and so for me, the ambition is what is the best writing that I can do? And, and that's why I don't spend a lot of time looking at, it is nice if you can rankings, win, is what you know, yeah, yeah. Rankings and stuff. It's so you didn't nice. look when you were like 10 years on the New York times list. It didn't, you weren't looking at the list. I was so happy when it first, like when it first hit there, but then, right. no, I didn't spend every Saturday morning opening up the, where am I now? Am right, I right, right, right. And, and, and I wanted to, and it's also, yes, but that felt like a personal achievement, but I don't resent the person who then took my spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when my time was over and somebody else became number right. one, I wasn't like, Arr! it kills me to see somebody else at that sure. position besides me. You know, mm-hmm. um, like that doesn't. I have, I come from a really competitive family and I think from an early age, I just felt like this feels slightly dangerous to me. Um, mm. how much everybody cares about beating everybody at everything. Um, I can't even join that. Sure, sure. <laughs> this just feels like too much work right, and right. too much at stake for everything. Mm. Like we're playing, you guys, we're playing old maid, right? right? Like it doesn't have to be a blood sport, you know, but, right. but it kind of was. Monopoly uh, people are like, oh my slamming the board God, game. you have no idea, Lewis, <laughs> you know, like everything, you know? So I think I just opted wow. out of, and I was more focused on, you know, what do I want to be and what do mm. I want to become? And, and those ambitions extend for me beyond just my writing career and into mm. sort of my personal Ambitions for what kind yeah. of a person do I want to be? What if it's a an athlete or someone that uh-huh. play? You know, it's great to say, well, just be the best version of yourself, and don't focus on winning. Right. Focus on whatever being the best. But then you're losing all the time. That's not gonna make you feel that great. If you're an athlete playing, I would sport, imagine there's a winner and a loser. You know what I mean? I would imagine if you are an athlete at a level where it matters, um, 
you will not be like me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's why I'm not an athlete. Sure, I mean, sure. and it's, uh, I mean, I would not suggest that anybody who has any skin in the game in any athletic endeavor right. approach life the way that I do, because mm-hmm. what you need is to, I mean, look, I'll tell you, Lewis, I played sports. I was yeah. not bad at sports. I played sports and all through high school, I was a letter winner from freshman year in three sports. Like, but, and I loved the camaraderie and the teams. I love being on the bus. Yeah, You know, I loved being outside in the weather. I loved all of it, except the competitiveness of it. And I remember vividly being in a, the end of a basketball game and just having this really existential thought. I was 15 years old. And I remember thinking, as I'm just like booking up the court, thinking, I truly do not understand why it matters which one of these teams wins. I like literally do not understand. And all I could think was, if I went to Chapag High School, the other school we were playing, all these girls would be my friends. So right. why do I care if I beat them? Because if I was, if I were born there, then I'd be playing against us. You do not want that person on your team, Lewis. Somebody who thinks like that <laughs> right. is not a clutch player. Right. You know, like that is not an athlete's way of thinking, yeah. you know, unless you're a marathon, but even then you want to win your marathon. Right. Um, so I would, so that's the moment at which I realized that athletic endeavor was probably not a future for me. Right. Right, right. <laughs> Artistry was probably a better place. Nor cre- competitive writing is not either. It's, yeah. it's about being, creating your best work. That's the idea. And the best work kind of rises to the top, essentially, hopefully, right? Well, and I do think this, too. I think that um, my friend Sarah Jones, who's a performance artist who's won, you know, Tonys and and she's fantastic, she has a beautiful way of expressing this, that she said, at the beginning of any creative endeavor, there's a highway that I have to be on. This is her words, not mine. I'm paraphrasing. She said, there's a highway that I have to be on to do this work. And... Along that highway, there's any number of detours. And anytime I find myself asking questions such as, am I going to be able to win a Tony with this? Is my agent going to be able to sell this? Are people going to want this? Is the audience going to respond to this? Is this the right kind of work? Is this what the market is calling for? Is that she said, all of those questions are detours off the highway that I need to be on. Mm. And any of those questions that I start asking myself at the beginning of a creative journey is going to take me right off that highway and into the same neighborhood every time. And that's a ghetto where they're going to take the hubcaps off my car and beat me and leave me for dead because it's going to leave me asking the wrong questions. And the only question at the beginning of this creative endeavor is, does the thought of making this illuminate me, ignite me, make me feel like I can't wait to get up in the morning and give meaning to a life that is otherwise often very difficult. If the answer is yes, then I'm on the right road, Mm. you know, um, and anything else and any other reason, you know, um, also puts you in, I think, hungry ghost category, which is when is it enough? You know, I was on the, I was number one New York Times bestseller for a year. If all I cared about in my life was being at the top, there was a day that came when I wasn't that Mm. anymore. And that would have been a very bad day day for me instead of me being like, this journey is amazing. And now what am I going to make? You know, when I wrote the book that came after Eat, Pray, Love, my book committed, which I still really like Mm -hmm. that book sold one one thousandths of the copies of Eat, Pray, Love. If I were somebody who only had to win and I saw that chart, that's a plot. committed suicide. I mean, that is a bad chart. Like that's the opposite of up and to the right. That's like a stark. And instead I was like, I like that book. That's, I'm, I still like that book. And now what? Now what do I want to make? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, because I think you can't stay there. You can even get there. You know, say you're, I had this woman write to me, this young woman who said, I don't think I should be, be made to feel ashamed that I want to be 
don't just want to be an actress. I want to be a great actress. I want to be a famous actress and I want to win awards. And I said, no one should make you feel ashamed for that. I wanted to all those things in writing, but just know that if that is your only motivation for doing this, satisfaction will never be in your hand. Because even if, let's take it to the top, even if you win an Oscar, what happens the next year when someone else does? Yeah. Right? So let, sure, be ambitious, want everything, no problem. But if you don't have a soul reason to do it, you only have an ego reason to do it, then you're setting yourself up for a life of suffering where you will never have enough. Yeah. And someone will always be on your neck coming up behind you and you will never know when to rest in contentment. And that just sounds like hell to me. Yeah. It's interesting. I was listening to your interview with, or not interview, but your super soul sessions where you talked about discovering your passion Mm -hmm. and how you live the life of passion. You used to tell people passion, passion, go find it, go follow it, go pursue it. Um, And you said that there was a woman that wrote you a letter, talked about how she didn't just know her passion. Yeah. Or her passion changes or, you know, comes and goes. Um, can you talk about that in regards to what we were just talk- covering? Yeah. I mean, I've always had the great good fortune of knowing what I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love writing. And so my life has been really simple. That's all I do. Yeah. That's kind of the definition of a passion, right? Nice. I know. It makes your life really easy. You knew easy. what you wanted. I knew you... what I wanted. I liked it. I didn't really like you anything else. You worked in magazines, right? Yeah. Wrote art short stories. Very clear. It's yeah. like, this is Movies. it. Here's the path. Yeah, yeah. Everything else can take a number, right? Like that's uh-huh. always been really obvious to me. And so it's also been very obvious to me to go around telling people, just do that. Like, you know, that <laughs> thing that you love more than anything, just do that, right? Right, mm-hmm. right? Like it just seemed like the easiest, it seems like good advice and right. even kind advice, right? And so after Eat, Pray, Love came out, I started kind of professionally saying that, going on stages and telling people, just find your passion, do your passion, blah, 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 passion, passion. And then one day I did an event in Australia. And when I got back, there was a long letter on my wall, on my mm. Facebook wall for me, a woman who said, you know, I came, I came to your event looking for inspiration. And I have to tell you, I'm sitting alone in the dark in my room and I've never felt worse about myself than I feel right now mm. because all I've been doing is trying to figure out what that thing is that you're talking about. And I'm telling you, I don't have one in the way that you define it as that thing that makes you feel like your hair is on fire, that you would sacrifice anything for. And it's not for lack of looking and it's not for lack of people and people like you are constantly saying to people like me Mm -hmm. that this is the answer. And I, and I just feel like a loser and a failure and that I'm interested in a lot of things, but nothing that I would die for, nothing that I would give my whole life for. So I know you didn't mean to, Mm -hmm. but you just made me feel like the biggest failure and loser in the world. And it was such a head turning thing for me, Lewis, because I was like, well, how many people have I done that to, you know? Mm. And I started thinking about all the people who I know and love and asking myself how many of them could truly say, as I can, that from the time they were like basically six, they had no question about what they were supposed to be doing Not with their people. lives. Zero, based statistically zero, maybe a couple, but very few. Yeah. And everybody else I know, including people who I admire and who I go to when I'm broken down and I want advice. Like I, everyone else's path has looked like a path through a carnival fun house, you mm-hmm. know, like trick mirrors and trap doors right. and like, um, and, and trying this and it not quite working and trying that and doing this. And so I was realizing like we preach this passion thing in an almost fundamentalist way, you know, but, and I'm a jackhammer right. when I, there's something that I care about and want to do. Sure. I'm fully focused. But what if, 
what if everyone was? What a weird and boring world that would be. Right. And so I've now sort of distinguished my mind between what I call jackhammers and what I call hummingbirds. And the hummingbirds are people who cross-pollinate the world by just moving from field to field and pursuit and pursuit and taking ideas from one place and bringing them to another and mixing it up. And they're not as, they don't get as much attention and credit as jackhammers because mm. they're not as loud as us, Lewis. That's true. <laughs> Nothing louder than a jackhammer. That's true. Like once we get going, we sort of don't shut up, yeah. you know, and hummingbirds, <laughs> they're beautiful. And they're, so it was just this idea. There's other ways to be. Yeah. You don't have to be the way that I fit in am. a box or fit in a one. Yeah. And don't thing, let, pa yeah. if you don't look, if you have a passion, of course do it. If you don't happen to have one, don't worry about it. And maybe there's a gentler answer, which is follow your curiosity, <laughs> um, which is a smaller impulse and a lighter one and a less high stakes one than passion. And you don't mortgage your whole house to go follow your curiosity. Right, you just right. try it for a weekend. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you like it. Maybe it's something, maybe it's not. Maybe in the end you kind of embroider a very complex, beautiful patchwork life for yourself. Mm -hmm. And at the end of your life, Maybe you're not at the top of the heap, but you're right. able to say, I did the most interesting thing a human being can do, which is to, to follow the slight pollen trail of my inquisitiveness for the entirety of my life. And through that, I cross-pollinated the world and created a beautiful work of art of my own existence. That's yeah. not so bad, you know, but it doesn't get a lot of credit in a really competitive passion. Sure passion fetishizing society. I get it. I get it. I guess yeah. in that analogy, I consider myself like a humming hammer, maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, and I look at, I look at everything as seasons, like in the sports world, uh. there's a preseason, the sea, the regular season, <laughs> the, the, the playoff season, then the postseason, right? Right. Just like in life, there's four seasons, four seasons to every sport. Right. And, uh, you know, do them again, preseason, the, there's a preseason. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so listen we all know life is full of yada yada like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print and i know you've dealt with yada yada before like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else and yes it is possible to outsmart yada yada like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is all already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. 
When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. There's uh, the, the season, the regular season, yeah. the playoff season, right. and then the postseason. The postseason, okay. Um, and I, you know, you, I prepare myself. I go all in on this sport for one season, right? The preseason, uh -huh. we're training mode, four or five hours a day, getting ready for the regular season. Then right. grinding it out. Then try to make the playoffs season. And the playoffs, you try to win the championship. Then afterwards, you evaluate in this moment, like, okay, did I fully love this season? Mm -hmm. Do I still love this sport? Mm -hmm. this be, do I still love writing? Do I still love this career path I'm on? Uh -huh. And then in the postseason, I reevaluate. Do I want to cross-pollinate somewhere else and try my right. curiosity some another sport or another right. thing? Or do I go into another preseason right. uh, or postseason to lead up to the same sport? Do you leave – you know, it's so funny because I always talk about my writing as seasonal as well. Mm. But coming from a farm background, I think of it as agricultural season. Sure. Um, including seasons where you leave the field fallow um, so mm. that the ground can restore itself. Yeah. You know, seasons where you don't work um, so that – you don't overstress. Sure. The, uh, you know, Rob talks about that too, a mm -hmm. lot about like. Yeah, you got to take a break. You know. You got to take a break. Yeah. Just not train. So interesting. Yeah. But I like that it's, I like that you use that word too, because I use that. But now I'm going to say, I'm in postseason right now from my there last you go. book. Postseason is just like, you're taking a break, you're evaluating, you're. You work on your injuries. You recover. Yeah, you, you heal. <laughs> you heal. Yeah. That's what it is. You yeah. heal because it's a lot of work. You know, if Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, are you a big NFL fan? I'm a big no? enough NFL fan to be able to follow along with where you you're going. You know what Tom Brady is. I do okay. know what Tom Brady is. If Tom Brady <laughs> was playing a, season, a game every weekend yeah. for the last 15 years, he'd be broken down. Yeah. He needs that three months to recover and whatever, do whatever he does with Giselle around the world and travel and right. do what it Think is. Think of new ways to be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I met him. Sorry. He's actually a pretty nice guy. <laughs> pretty nice guy. I met him. Um, he's, <laughs> he's one of the most focused guys I've ever met. Yes, he is. He is he's extraordinary his at his job. Committed he to his is craft. so good at his job. Um, so, anyways, yeah, that's, he could work on being a better sport, but that's all right. Yeah, you know, attitude. We all have our personality. You should talk type. to you should talk to him about that. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our own personality. <laughs> Sorry, Tom, if you're listening to this. <laughs> you're very handsome and talented man. <laughs> he is, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because I get a lot of people that ask me, you know, how do I find my passion? Yeah. But I like your response to it. It's like, maybe just find what you're curious about right now. You know, my thing is, if you have one, you'll know it, yeah. right? So you shouldn't, if you have one, you won't even be asking that because you're already doing it. Going for if it. you don't have one, take the pressure of that word off your, it's yeah. just such a pressure word and and just keep going back to the word curiosity mm -hmm. because you do have that, Yeah, you know? Um, and, and the thing about curiosity that I think is interesting is how underestimated it is because I think a lot of the times people are missing their, their invitations. There are all these invitations for transformation and for creativity. They're missing them because their eyes are in the wrong place. So their eyes are in the sky looking for the clouds to part. They're looking for Moses to come down with like, you know, tablets. They're mm -hmm. looking for the voice of God. They're looking for the big sign because mm -hmm. they think that that's how it comes. And in fact, it's, 
your eyes have to be on the ground looking for the almost invisible trail of breadcrumbs. That's the path, right? And so the breadcrumbs are all around you and people aren't even, their focus isn't there. It's up in the heavens like, where's my sign? Where's my sign? And the other way that curiosity comes, I think, is that tiny little almost, almost imperceptible tap on the shoulder that asks you if you would please turn your head an eighth of an inch and look a little closer at this thing that you're barely interested in. Mm. Just have the most mild little touch of yeah. interest. And I feel like people are getting those touches all the time and they're brushing off their shoulders like, where's my brush- sign? Why are they brushing it? Because they because don't think it's, they don't think it's significant because it doesn't seem big or important enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as that little tap comes, and if you even bother to turn your head an eighth of an inch and look at it more closely in that moment, you're like, this isn't a thing. Yeah. This is nothing. This is like so small and so insignificant, but it is a thing. It's the first clue on the scavenger hunt. It's the first breadcrumb. And the, I think the foremost sort of shape of my entire creative journey has been about being really trusting of that. You know, like, I don't know why I'm interested in this. I don't even know what this means right now, but I'm going to trust that that's an invitation or the beginning of an invitation. Right. And, and then I'm going to look for the next tiny little tap and the next, you know, breadcrumb. And so it's not, my life hasn't been a series of thunderous epiphanies. It's been a, th- a series of tiny whispered invitations. Every single one of them that I've heard, I've said, okay. <laughs> Let me check this out a little more. All right, let's yeah. check it out. And sometimes it's nothing. Yeah. Sometimes it's not a thing, you know, um, but it's never wasted. Yeah. You know? Um, so I think, there's a wonderful thing I've said recently, like, don't ask for a sign and then ignore it when it comes. But I think people don't even know it is one because it doesn't look like the ones in the movies yeah. or the ones in the speeches the that people give. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't, right. it doesn't, it doesn't have voice of God, but voice of God is sometimes like, Hey buddy, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> just two inches to your left, yeah. you know? Just a little flutter in your yeah, heart or your stomach, just a little bit. Yeah. I trust that with my life. Yeah. I've trusted my life with that feeling. Mm. What do you think is the biggest thing that holds people back then? Is it fear or is it pain or is it both or something else? It's always fear. And fear for Game of Thrones fans out there is the original many-faced God, right? It's Fear has so many disguises that mm-hmm. it can take. And, but I know it by its, by its works, it shall be known, right? Here's how you know it's fear. It's stopping you. It's fear. Um, so it's, it's how it makes you behave that makes you know what it is. So fear can look like fear as we sort of commonly and narrowly recognize it, anxiety, panic, insecurity. Fear can also look like apathy. Um, you know, a sort of deep ennui that makes a person, just be like, well, it's better. It's been done. Who cares? What's the, it can look like cynicism. What do you mean it's been done? Like someone's already been there, yeah. done that. So why should I go? And- yeah. Fear can look like snarkiness. Whenever I meet somebody who's really acidic and snarky, I'm like terrified person right there, you know, oh. um, because all I can do is shred everything that anyone else is doing. Yeah. Um, because I can't even begin to have the courage to take my energies and point them toward anything. Fear can look like boredom. Um, fear can look like perfectionism, wow. which I call fear in high heel shoes and pearl necklace trying to be fancy when all it is is terrified. Yeah. Fear can look like, um, self abuse. I mean, fear, you know, but, but, but basically it's, if you're not doing it, the thing or anything, <laughs> right. it's fear has taken a disguise in your life and is blocking you. And, and I just, 
if you peel off mask after mask after mask of all those behaviors, when you get to the bottom of it, it's just our old friend. Hello, old friend. <laughs> Hello, fear. <laughs> it's interesting. It's always that. It's always that. You know, I'm writing a, a new book that I just uh, started writing called The Mask of Masculinity. Wow. And it's about this process of how men, but also women now take on this mask of, of masculinity, but how men growing up have been conditioned and trained to put on this mask. Which is a fear-based mask. A fear-based mask. Yeah. Of looking bad, of not being whatever, yeah. be able yeah. to protect people or yeah. smart enough, whatever it may be. And uh, it's been fascinating to like wow. dive deep in the research that because as an really athlete, cool. you know, in oh, the locker right room, you're just it. conditioned yeah. to never cry in front of people, to never yeah. show pain or or fear or anything. Yeah, and uh, and kind of it's hard to like transition from the sports world into real life and and not carry on those masks at school or when your relationships with your family, sure. or intimate relationships, and then how that trains down to the children when yeah. men grow up and, and repeat the cycle. So. Uh, it's been interesting to dive into fear and and the mass that we live in. Yeah, and I heard you know there's all those um, studies on um, is it called what's that fraud fraud syndrome right um, the studies of CEOs who when anonymously polled how many of them what percentage of them believe that, that they they're a fraud be, that they're a fraud um, and that a lot of them right it's about eighty seven percent crazy and the rest are, I guarantee you are sociopaths. Wow. <laughs> or lying. <laughs> they're either pathological liars or sociopaths. Or just so narcissistic and egotistical yeah. that they yeah. believe it. That right. they're like, yeah, I should have this. Right. Um, right. Give me the helicopter. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, instead of having any sort of fragile hmm. molten chocolate lava part inside that goes, whoa, did I, why are they trusting me with this? How am I managing 20,000 people already? Why yeah. do they think I know what I'm doing? Sure. You know? And um, Is there ever a point yeah. where we should think that we know what we're doing? And be confident and be like, yes, I am a leader. I can lead people, even if it's three people to a thousand people. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story, but it has to be done with. Here's the example I can give you. Back to the Oprah tour, just because that mm-hmm. is how we began. But this is also an illustrative story from my own life. Is that when when Oprah invited me to come and speak to twenty thousand people in sports stadiums with a jumbotron <laughs> and crazy. said, you know, fifty minute speech. You know, just inspire everybody. I was like, got it, Go. done and done. <laughs> Check. Like, what? <laughs> like, no big deal. Oprah. Oh, is that all? Um, <laughs> do you want me to prepare or should I just get up and do my, you know, just come there? So I spent six, seven months working on that speech. Oh, my goodness. Um, because I take her very seriously because everybody who is in that audience trusts her with their entire heart and life. Mm-hmm. And so for her to trust me with her people is a huge act of trust. And I want to bring them something good, you Beautiful, know, yeah. and something useful to them. And so, I mean, the way that I practice and I don't read off a teleprompter cause it, I find it distracting. So yeah. it's a memorized sort of That's a gift. speech and that, well, it's, hours a day of, oh, of, of repetition. So I was, so, and the way I do it is by walking. So I walk it into me. So I spent months, literally months walking hours a day, talking, walking, working on this, refining it, refining wow. it. Um, so that's part of it is, are you prepared, right? Are you preparing? Have you done literally all you can do? Right. right? And then the, the day of the first speech came and I was backstage and I was shaking in fear. Lewis. I had like, I can imagine, you know, my knees 20, were 20,000 people. You know, like, and and Miss Winfrey in the front row, like introducing yes. you and be like here over to you, entertain my us, like right. yes, <laughs> trusting you with you know and watching you with her people who mm. believe in her and who trust her and and I was really like my I was shaking and my hands, I mean all those things that happen when you're really scared, and I was thinking I was like five minutes to go on and I was thinking, 
there are times in your life where the most gracious and humane gift that you can offer to people is to show them your vulnerability mm -hmm. and to let them see that you too are fragile and human and insecure. This is not one of those times, mother. <laughs> like that is truly what I thought. I truly, I was like, not today. I thought you were about to be like, no, no. And it was like so clear to me, Lewis. And it, and what I realized was oh my goodness. you were not hired today to show them that to be, to show like weakness. Or you like were brought here today to model what it looks like to stand in your truth, wow. to tell your story in a, in a clear voice and to aspire to claim for yourself some sort of a warrior hero's, hero's story, right? Sure. Like that's what you're, that's your job right now. Do not bring these people who paid a lot of money. Do not bring them what they already have. What they already have is fear, insecurity, self-hatred. Yeah. Like don't bring them more of, don't try to bring them what they don't have and show mm. them what that looks like, but show it to them knowing and admitting how scared you are to yourself. So right? how do you do that? Just by saying, not I'm scared to, to death. No, not to, not to me. Um, and I know there are people who'd be like, you should have just said I'm nervous. I was like, no, not today. You know, like I'll do that in other places, but not today. And, and I feel but like I, everyone does that. That's kind of like the I know. That's out. a new thing. It's I'm like, so scared right now. I'm so nervous. Right, right, right. And, I, and, I, and I was like, not, no, because show them what a steady voice is and show them what it looks like for a woman to stand in her truth and tell her story mm. and aspire for to create her own journey, right? Show that, model that. And, but admit to yourself how scared you are because that's integrity for you, right? Don't and lie so, to yourself. Don't so be when like you it. say, yeah. are there, is there ever a time to say, I'm really good at this. I'm great at this. I'm perfect for this. What I thought was I've prepared for this as much as I can. And 20 years of work, to 20 get years of work to get here. Oprah trusted me with this. She's yeah. not an idiot. She thinks I can do this. This is your job and you're actually capable of doing this job. And it's okay that you're afraid yeah. and no, you do not go out there and show that. Mm. And, and it was really galvanizing, you know, it was just like, go wow. do your job, yeah. you know, but do your job without fronting that you're the greatest, you know, like what doesn't it's ever humility and yeah, the humility well. was yeah. my shaking knees were my humility and my yeah. acknowledgement of that. That's all right. It's okay. Of course you're scared. You'd be, you'd be a psychopath if this wasn't scary, yeah. you know, but go do your job, go do your job. Sure. You can do it and you can be scared. You know what I feel like doesn't work is, and it doesn't work for me. And some, for some people, maybe it does is this kind of like pumping and getting yourself up for something by pumping your arms in there and being like, I'm the greatest. And the reason it doesn't work for me is because there's this very reasonable, sane part of my mind. That's like, well, I, Probably not. Like, there's all sorts of evidence that yeah, I might not being. be. <laughs> you're a human being. But yeah. guess what, Lewis? I'm not the worst either. Right. And there's a huge amount of real estate between the worst and the greatest. Yeah. And I'm somewhere in there. And I'll take my place in there where I am, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm just happy to be in the game. Yeah, I hear you. you. Know? It's interesting. I do, um, you know, some speaking every now and then, not, not a 20,000 with Oprah right now, but you I, will. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> but I do a lot of it my own way. Yeah. And, um, I remember about a year and a half ago, just, it started to pick up more and I was working with a coach on just my business stuff. And I called him like 15 minutes before and I was like, I'm just a little nervous right now. I'm like, I just, I want to do a really great job, you know? Yeah. And he's like, it's all good. But the thing is to focus on, 
You shouldn't be nervous if you're focusing on them. When you focus on yourself, right? then yeah, you're going to be nervous of how you look. What if I mess up? What right. if I slip? What if I stumble? What if I look bad? It's all concerned what about if they, this, yeah, how, how they you see look, me. how you show up. Instead, he's like, you know, the easiest way to shift out of that is to focus on service and being in service. You're not going to look perfect. Right. And people are going to accept you for who you are when you're authentic and real. And, right. And not looking so polished is going to look, you know. How do you serve them with, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I felt was like, you were here to show them, go do your job and help, you know, um, serve. That's it. That's it. So when we come from that place, it may not look perfect, but it's going to be perfect in that moment. There's this poet, the poet Mark Nepo, I was recently having a conversation with him and he said something so wonderful. He said, we live in a culture where everybody's trying to figure out how to get more attention. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I get more, a bigger platform? How do I get more likes? How do I get more of an audience? How do I get more sales? How do I get more attention? And he said, that's not that that's an insignificant question, but there's another question, which is while you're spending all your energy focused on getting attention, what are you giving your attention to? You know, that's the sole question. Like what is so Hmm. worthy to you that you will actually devote your attention to giving rather than getting, you know? So if you're giving your attention to your audience, it's a lot more beautiful exchange than if you're like, can I get you guys to look at me? Right, right. Yes. (laughs) Versus what can I, what can I get? My, my friend Glennon Doyle Melton, who's fantastic. She's great. She's amazing. You know, she said constantly people are coming up to her and saying, how can I get a bigger platform on my page? How can I get a bigger platform? And she says, by serving the platform you already have. Because if all you're thinking about with your platform is how can I get more numbers, you're not even paying attention to the people who are already giving you their energy. Mm. Serve them and the rest of it will take care of itself. They'll share it. They'll talk They'll about share, you. Or they won't and you'll still be in service, which yeah. is really what it's yeah. for. You know, So it's about that giving of attention rather what than you, trying to get it. What are you focusing your attention on right now? Um, I have a friend who's very ill and um, so that is everything right now. Um, there isn't really a lot left for anything else. And it's very clarifying in a way. Um, Rob said, I called him on the day that I found out and he Mm -hmm. was like, it's amazing how everybody's always looking for their purpose and meaning. And then something like this happens and suddenly it's so obvious. (laughs) Like this is what you're here for now is, is to serve this person. Um, so honestly, like don't really care about anything else right now. Um, I mean, I'm sort of whatever energy is left over. I'm sort of giving out sure. to the can. world as yeah. I can, but wow. that's everything right now. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. What I'm interested in is you've given it. I want to talk about fear in a second. Mm-hmm. So remind me if I forget. Hopefully, I remember. But um, you talked about this one of your speeches and how you. It might have been on Oprah or TED Talk. I think how you achieved like this this big monumental thing. Mm-hmm. This book, Eat, Pray, Love. Eat, Pray, What now? who now (laughs) you achieved this big monumental thing right Uh and and then you talked about how you're like okay my greatest work is probably behind me i think i remember you mentioning saying that yeah certainly my most successful work most most well known and maybe it's not your greatest because you're going to create great work yeah and it may be greater but the world will look back and be like she did that thing yes my the first line in my obituary has been written right exactly yeah so how do, when people, you know, there's these big celebrities or yeah. people that achieve like overnight success with content right. or books or whatever it may be, right. athletes, superstars who win championships early on, right. 
What advice do you give to people who make it big at a certain point and realize that, wow, maybe I'll never win the championship of whatever I'm doing again right. or achieve that achievement again, right. Oscar, whatever it may be. Right. How do people move forward after that? Because there are a lot of high achievers yeah, on here yeah, yeah, yeah. as well as people that are trying to figure out how to get you know, turn their passion into their profit and make yeah, it a reality. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's equally as important to, to figure that out. So for me, it's a mathematical equation, which is weird because I don't understand math, but I do have an, I do me understand. You. Me <laughs> <and you. laughs> oh my God. But you know what? This is the only way that I could see this that made sense. So you know what absolute value is? Absolute value numbers. You remember this at all? Okay, so you're talking to a guy who barely passed. Uh, look, I high barely school. did either, but I actually like so an absolute value. I can't believe I'm about to try Teach to explain me. a math. Okay. okay, so there's zero, right? Zero's in the uh -huh. middle, and then there's positive numbers and negative numbers, okay. right? So there's positive ten and there's negative ten. Okay, right? So one of them is worth positive ten points. The other one is worth minus ten points. Oh, yeah. But the distance that they those two numbers are from zero 20. is the same. Well, 10 and 10. 10 and 10. Got you. If it, you've measured in inches, they're each 10 inches gotcha. away from center. Yep. Right? So that's an absolute value. So they have the same absolute value, hmm. as which is how far they are from makes zero. Sense. Right? Makes sense. I can't believe I'm explaining math. It makes, makes sense to me. Squad goals. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so what that means in our personal lives and I think in our professional lives and artistic lives and everything is that zero is where you are doing – it's what I call home. And my definition of home is the place where I am doing the work I love for the right reasons. Um, and that's integrity. That's ethics. That's the devotion that I bring to my creativity. Yeah. That's treating the people around me correctly. That's just my ethical home is at zero and sort of, and my creative home is at zero. Writing is my home. Um, it's where when I'm at work, that is when I'm writing a book is when I feel my most authentic. It's mm. when I'm the least full of shit. Right. I'm alone in a room and it's just me and this thing that I've always loved. And I'm giving it my, it's what I'm giving my attention to. Mm. Right. I'm not thinking about critics. I'm not thinking about book sales. I'm not, I'm just doing me and this idea alone. That's my home. Right. So failure, great failure, let's say is negative 10 from zero. Right. When you fail and you're shamed and you're cast off into the darkness of, you know, public infamy mm -hmm. and bankruptcy, divorce, you know, uh, addiction, health exposure, health, like yeah. just anything. We're going to put that at negative 10. Um, we don't want that. We all agree. That's, we try to avoid that. That, sure. that has, we can't always avoid it, right? If you're in life, right. these things are going to happen, right? Success is positive 10, right? We all want that. We all want to go over there like bright lights and, and, and acclaim and praise and money and women and fast cars and, and like attention and right. trophies. That's all at positive 10. Right. But if you look at it and if you look at it just from a numerical value, obviously positive 10 is a lot better than negative 10. Yeah. If you look at it from an absolute value, they're exactly the same distance from zero. And where I want to be is at zero. Because zero is my stable ground hmm. where I can do my work from a place of integrity and ethics and devotion and curiosity and interest where I'm following my path, right? So success can th seem so appealing, but if you're not aware of what your zero is, where you're like, where your steadiness is, it can throw you just as far away from yourself as failure. Yeah. And so great success and great failure are both on an absolute value scale, equally dangerous. 
right? And this, right. we know this because look at the cautionary tales of everybody we know who gets flung out into great success and they might as well have been flung instantly to negative 10 right? because they're so far from their center. And so the work that you have to do. So what happened to me after Eat, Pray, Love is I found myself at positive 10. Positive 100 probably then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. And so what I had to do was the same thing exactly the same psychological and spiritual work that I used to have to do whenever I got rejected in the seven years before I got published. And these rejection letters that would throw me in a negative 10. Right. No one's ever heard of me. Nobody cares about me. I've been trying for seven years to get this published. I just got rejected again. I'm never going to be anywhere. I'm going to be a diner waitress forever. That's negative 10. Right. And the work that I have to do back then is the same work I had to do at positive 10, which wow. is come back home to zero. What does that look like? What zero is... Where's your home, Liz? And the answer is get back to work writing. Get back to work. Mm. Get back to work at the thing that you do that makes that you care about more than you care about yourself in a way than you more than you care about your ego, your successes. And so after Eat, Pray, Love, the only way I could break the spell of positive 10 was to go back in my room alone and write another book. Um, knowing that it would never be, I mean, nothing I'm ever, it's not possible, Lewis. I mean, the kind of good thing about Eat, Pray, Love, too, is such a tsunami. That it was such a black swan mm -hmm. that it's like, you don't even have to try to do that again. I right. didn't try to do it the first time. Right. I've, I've written every single. You didn't think about that? You didn't say, I want this to be a big success and be a big I seller. would like everything I do to be, right. I mean. You want people to read sure, it? Sure, of yeah, course. Yeah. I mean, if I have a choice between positive 10 and negative 10, I'll go with positive 10. <laughs> right. But I'm not in control of the outcome. Yeah. I'm only in control of my state. The work. My work and my process and my ethics right? My integrity and my ethics. And when you're there, as I said in that TED talk, the hurricanes of outcome can come and go. Failures, the hurricane of failure can come. The hurricane of success can come. You just keep coming back home to what you're meant to be doing with the spirit that you're meant to be doing it. And you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, and that's why I'm not doing cocaine off strippers' boobs. <laughs> I don't even know if that's like what I would try to think of what the female equivalent that would be. But that's why I'm all right. You know sure, what I mean? Sure, that's sure. why I have my old friends. That's why. Your magic Mike's chest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's why I don't have two albino tigers like yeah, Mike Tyson, exactly. right? Like, that's why I'm all right. Right. Um, I just grounded. have the one. <laughs> <laughs> the mini tiger. You know, I, I mean, that's, it's like, come back, just, are you home? Are you home at zero? At equilibrium, are you doing the right work from the right hmm. place? With Have you released the outcome? Are you serving rather than, are you trying to give attention rather than getting it? Then you're all right. Did you feel like you were ready for what came after the book? Do you feel like mm. the attention, I mean, must have been so much attention and yeah. everyone, opportunity, opportunity, like press, yeah. ridiculousness, right? I was as ready as I could be. And the really good news was when it happened, which was fourth book, not first. Right. Um, in my good marriage, not my unstable, chaotic marriage, 34, not 22, <laughs> you know, um, after years of therapy, not before, <laughs> yeah. after spiritual journey to India, not before. In a way, the writing of Eat, Pray, Love and the living of Eat, Pray, Love prepared me for the what happened with Eat, Pray, Love, wow, um, you know, so that what happened after, it was so interesting. I've, said, I've tried to explain this before, but I, I feel like people say to me, God, it must have been so crazy for you what happened after you pray love. And I always want to say my life was crazy when I was in my twenties. You just didn't know me then. I made it crazy 
myself because I was doing all sorts of crazy things. Right. Emotionally, mentally. Emotionally, uh, mentally, everything. like Kodo, relationships, yes. like all kinds of just craziness and, and immaturity, really. Yeah. You know, and you might have looked at me then and I might have looked like somebody who had it together or had a normal life, but I was actually just a tornado. Right. By the time Eat, Pray, Love came out, there was a tornado going on around me because of the reaction to that book, but I was not the tornado. You were more grounded. I was all right. You know, and it was, and it also, I mean, there were things to adjust to. There were parts of it that were times where I, you know, said yes to too many things and had to learn right. like, okay, don't do that again. <laughs> right, right. This place that you're in is not good. Being yeah. this stressed, this tired and feeling like you're being eaten by, by everybody. Like that's no good. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I was all right and I had good people around me mm. and, um, I was living in a tiny little town in New Jersey, which is a very safe place to be. Sure. People used to come. There was this period at like peak Eat, Pray, Love where people knew I lived in that town and they would come to the diner and ask the diner waitresses, no does, where's Liz Gilbert's house? And the diner waitresses would point across the bridge to Pennsylvania and be like, okay, so you go over that bridge <laughs> and you go like 20 miles over those mountains and they would just send them out of town Anywhere. on my behalf. Wow. Um, cause it was such a was that crazy, loyal huh? community to me. It was, was it really the, nice. Was it crazy though? I like mean, the, it was just for a little while, but it's not like yeah. Kardashian level. <laughs> That's sort of crazy. Um, but, um, and it was also, you know, the, it, there's also something that would happen that people think is crazy, but I didn't experience as crazy where people would come up to me on the street and say, this must sound insane to you, but I feel like I know you. And I would say that doesn't sound insane to me because I wrote two memoirs in a row I told you literally everything, everything about, about my life. Yeah. So of course you feel like you know me. Yeah. Um, the reason this feels weird is that I don't know you, right? <laughs> right. So that's the You're imbalance. Nice, yeah, yeah, I would just say, I don't know you. So why don't we just go right to that? Why don't you tell me who you are right. and where you're from and what your life is? Because you already know, you actually really everything. do already know yeah, everything yeah. about me, you know? And I didn't think they were crazy to feel that way. Mm -hmm. It's not their fault that I wrote two memoirs in a row. I'm the one who put it out there. Right, right. Can't, I can't, you can't do that and then be like, I don't want attention. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, I reveal some of my biggest secrets on my podcast and people listen every week. That's when they meet me, they say, you know, I feel like I know this and this, this, all these things about you and I appreciate you opening up. Yeah. It's kind of like a living memoir, I guess. Yeah. In a podcast, so. And that's all right. You did yeah. that. Yeah. With your own volition and your own exactly. agency. Nobody exactly. came and stole your journals and published them. Exactly. You know, um, you know, I decided to put that out there. Right. You decided to put that out there. Right. And, um, and I get it. And there's people who I feel like I know. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had that experience where I meet somebody. Oprah, like, right? Um, yeah, we all feel like we know Oprah, right. right? What is it about her that so many people, that, like, gives you this energy, thought about her? Why are so many people attracted to her? Why is she so different than everyone else? She's better than everyone else. <laughs> Not being competitive I mean, here. No, <laughs> I mean, she's the most impressive human being I've ever met. Mm. Um, you know, and I, what is it? She's, she has managed. I said this to her once. I said, you never let your greatness get in the way of your goodness. Mm. Um, so what it starts with, with her is an essential goodness. And she has... 360 degree empathetic view of every room that she's in. She's aware of everyone in that room and their state. And, um, there's a story I've told before, but I find it so remarkable when we did the tour, there was a young girl who came with her parents and she was there as a guest of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, teenage girl. So she was there with her mom and her dad and her, her little sister was probably about nine. And this girl was about 15 and I don't know what her condition was, but 
Lewis, she was there with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Right, something. She's very ill. Yeah. You know, like, obviously something's not right, not yeah. good with this. She's a young person who's either very sick or dying, right? Yeah. And and she, her wish had been to come and meet Oprah Winfrey wow. and to come to this event. That's and cool. so Oprah went on stage at one point and just said, in this very poised and beautiful way, she took a moment and said that we have a special guest in the audience today. And... I can't remember her name, you know, just make up a name. She's like, you know, this is Kelly. She's here as a gift of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And and can you stand up? And she put the spotlight on her and wow. everyone's like weeping because they don't even know, but they know, like, you know, everyone knows what that means. Mm-hmm. And that alone was beautiful, generous, empathetic, humane. That's Oprah, right? But then she did something after that that I was like, oh, that's why you're you and nobody else is you. Hmm. She said, um, we have another very special guest in the audience today. And I was so honored to be able to meet this young woman backstage and talk to her. And she reminds me of myself at her age. She's loves reading and she's passionate about school and she loves music and she loves to dance and she is really interested in animals and she's just the most vivacious spirited young woman I've never met. And that's Kelly's little sister, and she puts the spotlight on the nine-year-old who's the little sister of the girl who's very sick. And I was like, oh, my God, of course that kid gets no attention, right? Of wow. course that kid gets no attention. So all the focus is on because Kelly. Because or- Kelly's yeah. got the glamour of, <laughs> you know, right. and Kelly's very ill and her probably requires a huge amount of attention because she has a serious disease of some sort. But she also has the glamour of suffering around her and this kid has probably just been as much as doesn't mean her parents don't love her they just don't have time and energy they have a very sick daughter and i was like oh my god and that little girl stood up and she put the spotlight on her and she was just beaming like she just like took up the whole arena she's like hi (laughs) and for oprah to say you remind me of myself oh my god you know like you remind me of myself you're just like me you're great like, that's why you're Oprah Winfrey. I mean, it's good enough that you did the first step, but you saw the next thing that nobody else would see. And, and that's again, not about how am I getting attention, but who am I giving attention to? And I see her do that in every room that she's in, you know, just pick the person who isn't getting the attention and see them, Wow. you know, and make them feel seen. And, and that's why she's her and mm. nobody else is. Um, because I think after a certain level, people stop giving attention mm. and only try to hold on to the attention that they have or get more. You know, what's interesting. As I asked Rob, uh, we were having breakfast the other day. I said, what's one question you haven't asked Liz that you've always wanted to ask her? Which you guys have an incredible relationship. I'm sure you guys have told each other everything. But I said, what's one question that you'd want to ask? And his question was, how does she go into every room and see people for who they are and give them the most attention? Okay, now I'm going to cry. <laughs> oh. So, um, I thought that was interesting. I don't, because I want to. Mm-hmm. Because I want to. Um, and, you know, you were asking about, that's so sweet of him to say that. Um, you were asking him about, so he, he wants to know how you do it, how by wanting to, mm. by wanting to, um, you know, uh, why else would you walk into a room? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like what other motive would you possibly have? What other reason is there to meet a person than to try to see them? You know, um, 
I'm interested in us. Yeah. We're really weird. We are. <laughs> We're really weird. These monkeys, these monkeys with these supercomputer brains mm. on this planet spinning 69,000 miles an hour through space who have a consciousness of divinity. What? All of us are that? I want to know what that, what that is, yeah. you know? And I think actually really one of the, if there was a painful thing about Eat, Pray, Love, it was that the number of people who were in the room was suddenly so big that I couldn't do that in every room anymore mm -hmm. without me being exhausted by it. So it's I'm, taking too much of your energy. I'm not a natural boundary setter to put it mildly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you let me pick you up in a way. And the first thing I said to you was, <laughs> like, who's this guy? I was, me up. And the first thing I said to you is use me. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, what do you want me to, what do you want me to pitch? You know, what do you want me to promote Yes. on this podcast? I was like, I'm here to serve you. Yeah, your people yeah. use me. Like, I don't, so I had for me to have to set boundaries is very painful. I'd rather not. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really would rather that we were all just golden retrievers in a pile, you know, like, so it's not easy yeah. for me to um, say no to people. And it's not easy for me to say, I, I can't give you everything you want. I'll yeah. certainly try. Um, but I did this thing that was so cool. When I was on tour for big magic, I, often find that I shut down. There's a part of me that shuts down on tour because it's so much energy going out. Yeah. And I th was going on this four month long tour and I thought, I don't want to be shut down. I don't want to just be in pi like autopilot. I don't want to have my screensaver on. I want to be awake and alert to what Rob always calls the action is here. Yes. Like your life isn't happening sometime in the future. It's happening right now in this room with whoever you're with. Um, and so I made this goal that every single person that I met, Everyone that I met on my tour, I was going to ask them, what are you most excited about in your life right now? With this idea <laughs> That's that, amazing. that... This is the question I ask anyone new that I meet. Really? I ask them this question. It's such I, a good question. Because I feel like people always ask the wrong question. They ask, where are you from? What do you what do? do, you do? There's no way to learn less about someone than to ask to... people those two questions. It's, it's all... instant learning nothing about somebody. So I'll either say, what are you most grateful for in your life recently? Uh-huh. Or what are you most excited about in your life right now? That is so cool. And I feel like that brings the most joy out of people. Well, you get right to... The thing they're the excited thing. about? or what are they... Yeah. And right to the person. That's and... crazy you said that. That's so funny. I didn't know you asked those questions. That's funny. Because that's about <laughs> being interested in yeah. you know what they're all about, too. And yeah. the answers are amazing, aren't they? Unbelievable. Um, yeah. like the, my favorite one on my tour was this young woman doing my makeup before a morning TV show. And it's exactly the kind of interaction that is normally not an interaction, mm -hmm. um, which is we're, we're so in case, uh, David White, the poet says the most interesting thing to him about human beings is that we're the only species on the planet who can choose not to show up. Um, like can choose to not even just be there. Like all animals are totally where they are at all right. times. Like the hawk can't be like, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to be a hawk today. <laughs> Like a fish can't just be like, I have had it up to the teeth with being right. a fish. I'm just right. not even going to show up go today. Land right now. Like yeah. humans can do that though and be like, I'm not even going to, I just can't, you know. Um, and so there's all these human interactions that we have with people where there are two people who are just both not there, um, you know, and and so for me getting my makeup done before morning TV with this young woman who'd been there since 3am at the studio mm. and me on a long tour, that's exactly the kind of interaction where two people can be doing this incredibly weirdly intimate thing where she's like a quarter of an inch from my face painting me and not be there. And she's not there yeah, and I'm yeah. not there. Yeah. Like that is weird. On right? your phone. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. planning what I'm going to be saying. And she's thinking about when she's getting off work and here she is like so physically intimate to me and we're both not in the room. Like that's incredible. Right? So I said, hmm. 
what do you, can I ask you a question? And she's like, just sort of dead eyed tired. Sure. She's like, <laughs> I said, you know, what are you most excited about right now? And she went, they just found water on Mars. Like literally like that. And she's like, this is changing everything about the whole history of human colonialization and migration. And my grandchildren are going to live in outer space. And this changes everything about climate change and this. And she's a total space geek. Wow. And I was like, Which you would know, have no clue. we could have sat here for a long time before we got to Mars. You know, but we just jumped right into this really weird, very specific thing. Yeah. And suddenly we were both there, like mm-hmm. two human beings in a room together, life meeting life, right? And it's a moment you remember. I'll never vividly. forget her. It was awesome. Yeah. And and then I wanted to know everything about uh-huh. her feelings about Mars and why she sure. cares and, and what she's all about. And then I used to have a friend who was a winemaker and he used to say, you know, wine is alive. It's a, you know, it's living cultures in there. And when you're drinking wine, it's a moment where life is meeting life. Mm. A living thing is meeting another living thing. And he said, there's nothing better that you can do with your time in all circumstances than to create scenarios in which life can meet life. And that question is a really good way for life to meet life. Mm. What are you excited about? What are you grateful Mm. for? That's a good one too. I think it, cause it's the real, I, I mean, I live in gratitude. That's my life. Like the morning, moment I wake up to, if you ever call me on my cell phone, and I don't pick up my voice message says, tell me what you're most grateful for first. Then I'll reply to you <laughs> to just meeting people. Aww, I'm constantly evoking it because, lovely. you know, it's hard to be angry and grateful at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to be frustrated and pissed off at life. And it's impossible to be generous. Oh yeah. Without being grateful. Absolutely. Impossible. I've never yeah. met a, a, a generous person yeah. who doesn't live in gratitude. And yeah. I've never met a stingy and ungenerous person who has any gratitude in them at all. Right. It's impossible. It's always what's lacking. What's yeah, not good enough. I don't have enough. So yeah. how can I possibly share? Yeah. You know? Interesting. Um, Interesting. Cool. Who taught you that? Or did you teach it yourself? <sighs> you know, life. I, just life yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was really miserable for a long time. I mean, just like inside, like I was so driven and focused to achieve because mm-hmm. I thought that was going to bring me acceptance. Yeah. And I would achieve everything I ever wanted. And feel so lonely and like. Oh, so you get this. You win the trophy and then. And then I was like. Then you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? I was the most angry, nasty person like 10 minutes after like every big dream I ever achieved. When I was like my teens and 20s. Yeah. And I was just like, why am I so frustrated and angry and defensive and guarded by like achieving everything I ever wanted? Yeah. And then I started to do the inner work and realize that's why the mask of masculinity, I'm diving into this topic. I to, love to, that you're doing this. To talk about over the last three, four God. years, three, four years, I've really been like shifting and realized, wow, like I've been doing it to gain acceptance as opposed to, to create what I love and inspire and to serve. Wow. And so now everything's shifted to service. It's why it's my motivation behind giving yeah. and creating. And yes, I want to be a New York Times bestseller sure. and achieve these things. Go and you will. But I want to. Who, who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I want to serve. But in the, the meantime, yeah, and in, and in that service, and process, after and during, exactly. <laughs> so in the process, yeah. like life is just transformed. That's you know? amazing. Yeah, just being aware of it, and then I know action. this because I listened to your interview with Rob, and I know you talked about that whole yeah. evolution. Yeah, um, that's so cool. So it's been fun. I mean, I'm still doing a lot of the work. I'm not perfect by any means, but what? <laughs> you're not done. You're still <laughs> exactly. alive, and you're not I'm done. Still alive. Yeah, exactly. But oh no, been... life will make sure that you're not done. Exactly. <laughs> But gratitude for me, it's like, uh, you know, it's in the morning, I write it down, you know, during the day, I just talk about it, I ask people, evoke it as much as I can. Yeah. And then uh, at night, I'll tell my girlfriend, you know, I'll ask her, what are three things you're most grateful for? And I'll share what I'm grateful for from just the day. And I feel like it's, again, it's really hard, it's really hard to be angry or (laughs) resentful or 
pissed off of like a hater or you yeah, know, whatever. Yeah. Like if you didn't achieve what you wanted to today, it's yeah. like still a lot to be grateful for. Oh, so man. much good that's happened to us. Do you us. know that practice of three things a day that you're grateful for has been shown to be, I know you know this, mm. but it's shown to be one of the very few immediately concrete ways that you can totally change your life mm. into a happier life. Yeah, It's like just, and it can't be abstract like yeah i'm just gonna try to have an attitude of gratitude it's like no, write that specific. shit down and write it down and, people, and evoke it out of write people too. it down because it makes you yeah have to find it see it and realize it yeah yeah be aware of it yeah um what's missing in your life right now wow what's missing Ooh, that's very hard to even think of um is there anything missing yeah i mean there's nothing like missing in my life mm-hmm. There's things missing in who I would like to be. Who's you know? that? Um, I would love to be less judgmental. I would love to be more forgiving. Mm. Um, those two things go hand in hand. Um, I would love to have no anxiety. <laughs> um, so what's sometimes missing is peace and trust, but less and less, yeah. like less and less. I have like, I'm at the most peaceful and trusting place in my life now that I've ever been. Yeah. Um, and I see where we can just keep going with that, mm. you know? Um, what do you think it's going to take for you to achieve that or, or, or be that more fully? money? Isn't that hilarious? I'm just joking. But like, do you see how dumb that sounds? It sounds stupid. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah. I mean, if I want to be a more forgiving person, I'm just going to have to have a bigger income, you know, and I'm going to have to have a much, much better house. And then I think, and then I think I won't judge others as much. I think it'll make me kinder and and softer (laughs) and less, you know, less, less self What What it's going to take. I'll tell you, you know, I think what it's going to take is, is paying attention, you know, Keeping that at the, you know, Brene Brown always says, keep your shadow in front of you where you can see it. Hmm. Um, because you want to, you know, keep an eye on it. If you, if you, if it's behind you, it's going to be doing all kinds of crazy stuff to you that you can't see. Um, so I know that this is my shadow work. Um, and, and I think forgiveness especially, um, is my shadow work. I can't, I, and Hmm. the way that, I want to work on that. I have a lot of that come at it from many angles, but one is to spend as much time around people who are really good at it. I mean, the thing about (laughs) the thing I feel about our families and where we come from is that I realized this the other day because somebody said to me, well, you're really lucky because you grew up in a family where creativity was encouraged, you know, so lucky you, you get to go be a writer because your family didn't squash your creativity. And I thought you are absolutely correct about that. You know, and if I'm going to be creating a gratitude list for things that I'm grateful for, one of the things I'm grateful for is that my parents did not squash my creativity. Right. And that was, that's amazing because a lot of families do. And I am, and they, my parents were good at that and they got that. And there's a lot of other right. stuff that they got and they were good at too. However, they didn't get everything hmm. and there was a lot of stuff they were not good at they at all. They weren't perfect. They were not, believe it or not. And they, you know, they were also raised by people who didn't get everything and mm-hmm. who didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle and who had serious gaps. Right. Yeah. And so my parents, like all of our parents gave me literally everything they could. Yeah based on what they had you, it is not possible for somebody to give you something they do not themselves possess. It's not possible. And so there were certain lessons growing up that I never saw modeled for me only because they didn't know how to do it. 
You know, um, if they knew they would have shown me the way they showed me how to be creative, the way they showed me how to be self-assured, like there were certain things that they were really good at showing me what they weren't able to show me because no one showed them was how to be forgiving, how to be at a certain level generous. Um, cause there was like a lot of scarcity anxiety in my family. Mm. Um, they weren't able to show me how to be honest in certain circumstances that require a very brave honesty because there was a lot of conflict aversion. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of things that were never discussed and said, cause they didn't know how, mm-hmm. um, none of this is about blaming them. You can't blame people for not giving you what they didn't have. You know, and what I wanted to say to the, and I was sort of able to say to this, trying to explain this, this woman who said, you're so lucky that you were given this. And I'm like, yes, but I didn't get like these 10 other things. And what I've done as an adult is to go become a student of those things I didn't get because all over the world are people who have to offer what my parents didn't have. And I've become, I go sit at their feet And I say, show me, teach me, model for me how to do this thing that was not modeled for me when I was a child. Because now I'm a grown-ass adult. I can go look for that thing. I'm not going to sit around at my age and be like, nobody ever told me how to be honest. So I'm going to go find the most honest people I know and say, walk me through how you just did that interaction where you were so kind, but also so straight with somebody about your truth and your feeling. Cause I've never been able to do that. So can you just take me back and just literally step by step, mm. like elementary addition, show me what that looks like when you do that, you know, and show me how you just forgave that person mm. who I watched wrong. You talk me through it. Like it's tough. It is tough, but there are people who know things that I don't know and you can go be near them and you can ask them questions and you can learn. And what I wanted to say to this woman who was like, I, my family didn't teach me how to be creative. So I can't be creative. was like, go fucking learn. Right. Are you seven? Go to the bookstore. (laughs) There's a whole thing. Listen to free podcasts. Rob always says this, whatever your ailment or missing pieces are, there are professionals who can help you with (laughs) it. Like go get a creativity coach, take an art class or just sit there for the rest of your life saying, nobody ever let me be creative when I was a kid. So hands up in the air, Mm. nothing I can do about it. Go be a student, Yeah, you know, go be a student. So these pieces that I'm missing in me, my life's goals are to be a student, you know, mm-hmm. like I took Ian LeVanzant's 12 week forgiveness class. Wow. You know, like I listened six times to Rob's <laughs> podcast, his four podcasts in a row on forgiveness. Yes. I was like, I Those did the good. homework. Those were good. It's like, I will show up and try to fill these gaps rather than being like, mm. damn it, mom. Why didn't you give me everything I needed? Right. You know why? Because no one gave her everything she needed, you know? But one thing my parents did teach me was how to learn. So... It's a great skill. Go learn. Yeah, it's a great skill. You know, go go learn. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't get all... I'm assuming you got everything you needed from your family of origin. Everything. (laughs) (laughs) They just filled in the whole story. The thing they did give me, which is probably similar to your story, is they gave me belief. They told me that anything I wanted to do was possible. And mm-hmm. my father and my mom were just like, whatever your dream is, go for it. Like, we fully support you no matter how crazy it is. That's great. No matter how, you know, whatever it is, you know, 
they also got divorced and were a lot of emotional conversations constantly growing up. My brother was in prison for four years when I was eight years old, so I didn't have any friends during that time because no other parents would let their kids hang out with me. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was sexually abused. I was raped when I was five by a man that I didn't know. So there was a lot of things mm. that, you know, shaped my mindset early on. But my father and mom always said, they always told me how much they love me and said, you can do anything you want. And That's get, a pretty and, good fundamental. And instilled that belief in me. Yeah. And out of all the kids in my high school and college, I went to three different colleges. There's so many kids that I know who were afraid of me when I went after my dream after college that mm -hmm. didn't want to talk to me anymore. And I was like, why am I being like, why does no one want to talk to me or hang out with me when I'm going after what I want? And I realized because a lot of them didn't have that foundation that they were right. able to go after what they wanted. So it felt really foreign. And they were just like, yeah, they were kind of trying to take me down or bring me right. back to where they are and just right. came in the comfort zone. We call that tribal shaming. Right. And I was it's just a very like, powerful thing. So I had to lose all these friends, but yeah. I was like, I'm not going to sacrifice my dream and learn what my gifts are. Yeah. Yeah. To please 20 people or whatever it yeah, is, you know, yeah. that were my closest friends. Yeah. And a lot of them have come back around years yeah, later yeah. and actually helped ask for coaching and I've helped them with businesses and yeah. come back together. But I had to have like the courage to leave and be alone again, essentially. Wow. And just believe like, hey, this is what my calling is. Do you think your being alone as a child when your brother was in prison, mm -hmm. you didn't have any friends sort of prepared you for that sense I of think isolation? So. I mean, all through elementary school, middle school, high school, I was like very like a lot of inner turmoil just felt like alone all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's what made me early on. It was what made me so driven to prove people wrong. Like yeah. I was picked last on sports teams. That's in, hilarious. Like, elementary school. <laughs> and, you guys, uh, I'm sitting across from Lewis <laughs> and yeah. I'm just saying, who did you go to school with? Like Goliath and Hulk no, who were like the first, was, the first ones picked on every, on every team. And I was like the tallest, <laughs> I was like the tall, skinny, like goofy looking kid, uh, right? Who was always like in the special needs classes because I didn't do well in school. The reason, But I created, now you understand absolute value. Exactly. But the reason I created this, the reason I created School of Greatness was because yeah. I didn't do well in school, but in sports, I loved learning and I loved yeah. like the principles of getting to the, achieving your dreams. Yeah. So I was like, what if we could create a different type of school? That's so cool. I the love principles it. that actually help us feel the most fulfilled, the yeah. most loved, the yeah. most worthy, the most accepted school of greatness. So, <laughs> um, I mean, we're getting off track here. No, yeah. we're on track. We've never been more on track. There is no off track. I want, I want to be respectful. Cause you said about an hour. We're yeah, about an hour I, five in. All right. Well, you want to get another one more question in? Cause then I got to go over to see brother. Rob. I know, I know, I know. So I was just like, man, I could go for another hour, but I want to make sure. Can I ask three more? All right, I'll try to ask them quickly, although that is perfect, not my perfect, forte. Perfect, perfect. Uh, <laughs> I want to respectful your time. A friend if this of mine is your just, last, if you're good, we, <laughs> no, can, we can finish it No, 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 off. we'll do it, we'll do it. Okay, a friend cool. of mine just, I, I told her, I'm going out to California, I'm doing a speaking event. She goes, every event with you is a speaking event. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? Um, but yes, we will, I'll, okay. I will, you ask and I'll try to be, okay, we'll do lightning round. Perfect, perfect. Okay, yes. cool. <laughs> okay, if there was a... And we'll have to come, you have to come back on then another time because I have many more questions oh, I want to ask. Oh, you're lovely. So, Next time I'm out in, in, in LA. In LA. Perfect. My new second home, apparently. There you go. So we're, we're liking here. the LA now. Yeah, it's good. Good vibes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if there was a, uh, a word or a phrase that you had to Mike Tyson your face and, <laughs> and it would have to be in reverse so that when you walked in the mirror, yep. you would reflect and you could, only you could see it essentially. Yep. What would that word or, saying B. Well, I already Mike Tysoned it on my, well, it's not Mike Tysoning it. It's the opposite of it. I did it. That's the, literally the opposite of a Mike Tyson tattoo. It's a white <laughs> ink tattoo on my wrist. Can you read it? 
Stubborn Gladness. That's it. Wow, that's cool. Stubborn Gladness. It's from a poem by my favorite poet, Jack Gilbert, no relation, um, where he says, we must have the stubbornness to Mm. accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of the world. Mm. Um, And I think that's everything. It's not denying that the world is a furnace. It's just saying you put your shoulder up against it with your optimism. That's cool. You're heliotropic like these sunflowers. You turn your face to the light and you put that stubborn gladness in. That's cool. I like that. I'd be I might just go do that. (laughs) There you go. Right on the forehead. forehead. (laughs) Like ambulance, you know? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I like that. Um, This is what I call the three truths. Okay. Question. Now, I didn't, I didn't, uh, prep Liz for this. So this will be off the cuff, which I'm sure you'll be fine. Um, let's say it's the end, the last day for you many, many years from now. However much longer, uh-huh. right? Many, many years. You've written many other big hits, movies, books, anything you've wanted to create. You've been able to write the story right now and create everything. The sequel the to Hamilton. Life. Exactly. Right? <laughs> right? Whatever it is you want to create, you've created it. Called Jefferson. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> The last day, it's a, you know, it's peaceful. Everyone knows it's the last day for you. And mm-hmm. everyone's there. Everyone you care about is there. And uh, for whatever reason, everything's been erased. Big magic, all the books, uh-huh. everything, plays, whatever, movies, gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, your great, great, whatever, comes up and says, um, here's a pen and a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Liz, can you, I'll probably call you. Elizabeth. They call me Auntie Grandma, actually. Auntie Grandma. Yeah, I have stepkids and their grandkids call me Auntie Grandma. There you go. There you go. Auntie Grandma. Uh (laughs) There's a pen and a piece of paper, Uh and there's nothing else to remember you by Uh because it's all been erased. Uh Um, But you can write down three truths. The three truths that you know from everything you've learned, all your experiences. What would you pass on to us to be the biggest lessons, principles? Any two lipsticks combined make a better shade. Number one, there's only three wishes. The Never put has. water on a grease fire. Number <laughs> <laughs> two. Yes. And um, red wine stains on a white couch are never coming out. Everything else can be reversed. Every other mistake you make in life can be reversed except that one. Really? Um, <laughs> uh, but, in, but a more earnest thing is... <laughs> um, Keep your side of the street clean. Um, don't make yourself smaller to make other people feel better about themselves. And avoid romantic entanglements when you're too young for them. Um, it's the really like, I feel like the biggest obstacle, which of course it turned into, you know, turned into you pray love, but the, yeah, certainly the one piece of advice and truth that I always give to young women, especially, is do not be too hasty to attach your life to somebody else's life. Do not be too hasty to attach your life to somebody else's life. And and focus on creating your own journey and your own identity because there is a terrible habit that women have. The minute they are attached to somebody else is that they become that person's helper. Um, and they live in service of that person's dream rather than their own. And so just stay away from it for a while. Just get just back right out of that bar. Just like, you know, like if I could go back in time, which I wouldn't do because I don't want to undo anything that's brought me here hanging out with you in this room right Right. now is so good, right? Like why would I want to take any piece of that out or else none of us are right here. But 
in all the parallel universes. I'm going back, you know, in 1992 on First Avenue and 10th Street, and I'm about to walk into this particular bar, and I'm just picking myself up off that sidewalk, and I'm putting myself in a different direction <laughs> um, because I'm not ready to do what I'm about to do with the guy that I'm about to meet in that bar, right. you know? Um, yeah. and, and I'm just going to go to the library instead. <laughs> go to the library and, and learn Italian instead. I'm just going to go there do something go. else instead. I'm not sure. getting married at 24 in my next life, you know? Um, so that, those are, those are my three noble truths. But the thing about the lipstick is totally true. Very <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Well, I've got one final question. Yeah. Uh, and before I, I ask it, I want to make sure everyone goes and gets this book. It's called Big Magic. Creative Living Beyond Fear. So make sure to check this out. We'll have it all linked up on the show notes here in just a second. And make sure to uh, follow you online. Where do you like to hang out the most on social Facebook. media? Facebook. Um, I'm at Gilbert Liz. And Gilbert I'm Liz. there a lot. I have a beautiful Facebook community. Perfect. Yeah. So go lovely. hang out there. Tell her what you thought about this interview. Send her love over there. But also on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere else too. Yeah. I'm but all over the I'm like all over it. the social media. I like it. I like it. Um, before I ask the final question, I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Liz. Uh, I acknowledge you for your incredible Aww. joy, for your incredible heart, your spirit, and for your ability to see so many people for who they are and what uh, brings them joy in the world. So I acknowledge you for consistently showing up even after such big wins and serving people in such an amazing, loving way because you could easily write off and write people off, but you have an incredible heart from this last hour just connecting with you, and uh, it's just an inspiration to so many. So I You are you. so lovely. Now I want you to pick me up again. Yeah, I will. I will. I will. <laughs> that is so, so sweet. Okay, I know yeah. this is probably going off script, but can I acknowledge you for showing sure. people how to be a student? Sure. You know, like starting with your story of being dark and angry and disenchanted and obsessed with achievement and never satisfied and finding a way to live from a place of mm -hmm. gratitude and now taking the mask of masculinity off, which is going to be such a community yeah. service. Yeah. It's going to be such a community service for you to do that for so many men and women and families. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. I will. Oh, I was going to fist bump you, but I'm getting a full double <laughs> Bill Clinton yeah. handshake. <laughs> uh, uh, final question is, what's your definition of greatness? Goodness. Liz Gilbert, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Appreciate you. It. You are the like greatest and the goodest. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode with the incredible Liz Gilbert. Make sure to share this out with your friends and check out the full video interview at lewishouse.com slash 341. Go ahead and tweet it out, post it on Facebook, on Instagram, snap it on Snapchat and send me a message on there. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Leave a comment below in the comment section, either on the blog post at lewishouse.com slash 341, or if you're watching this video, then on the YouTube channel comments as well at YouTube slash Lewis Howes. Again, I uh, loved connecting with Liz and hope to support her for many, many years to come. Uh, all of her work is incredible and uh, she's just got a big heart. So I hope you guys go follow her, go support her, go buy her latest book, go buy Eat, Pray, Love. If you haven't read that yet, go watch the movie, which came out as well uh, many years ago with Julia Roberts starring as her, which is kind of crazy. And uh, yeah, give her some love, give her some support. 
follow her up. I am so pumped for all of you guys. We've got some big interviews coming up. Uh, Liz is one of the biggest, but we've got even more big interviews. And it's because of you. The, the podcast continues to grow and grow and grow. And that's why we're able to get such incredible people on and, and big names and people who have done incredible things so that I can ask them the questions that you want to know and really dive in deeper to understanding how they got to where they are and how they became so great in what they do. So keep sharing the word, spreading the message, letting people know about the School of Greatness podcast. And also, if you've been listening for a while and you have yet to leave a review, please leave a review over on iTunes. It'll help us get more rankings, be seen more on iTunes, and get more people listening to the School of Greatness. So thank you guys so very much. Keep enjoying every single moment of your journey. It's so important to soak up every single moment because we never know when it's going to be over. And it's not always about achieving the big dream. It's about those moments, those precious moments in between on the journey towards our dream that really makes life juicy. I love you guys. I appreciate you. You know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium bang and a Lufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range in a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S.